0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Intro GIS podcast. This week we'll be looking at chapters 5.1 and 5.4 of our textbook, Essentials of Geographic Information Systems by Campbell and Shin, 2011. This text was adapted by Sailor Academy under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. And as such, this podcast is also under that Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. Chapter five, Geospatial Data Management. Every user of geospatial data has experienced the challenge of obtaining, organizing, storing, sharing, and visualizing their data. The variety of formats and data structures, as well as the disparate quality of geospatial data, can result in a dizzying accumulation of useful and useless pieces of spatially explicit information that must be poked, prodded, and wrangled into a single unified data set. This chapter addresses the basic concerns related to data acquisition and management of various formats and qualities of geospatial data currently available for use in modern geographic information system projects. Chapter 5.1 Geographic Data Acquisition The objective of this section is to introduce different data types, measurement scales, and data capture methods. Acquiring geographic data is an important factor in any geographic information system effort. It has been estimated that data acquisition typically consumes 60-80% to 80% of the time and money spent on any given project. Therefore, care must be taken to ensure that GIS projects remain mindful of their stated goals so the collection of spatial data proceeds in an efficient and effective manner as possible. This chapter outlines the many forms and sources of geospatial data available for use in a GIS. Data Types. The type of data that we employ to help us understand a given entity is determined by, one, what we are examining, two, what we want to know about that entity, and three, our ability to measure that entity at a desired scale. The most common types of data available for use in a GIS are alphanumeric strings, numbers, Boolean values, dates, and binaries. An alphanumeric string or text data type is any simple combination of letters and numbers that may or may not form coherent words. The number data type can be subcategorized as either floating point or integer. A floating point is any data value that contains decimal digits, while an integer is any data value that does not contain decimal digits. Integers can be long or short, depending on the amount of significant digits in that number. Also, they are based on the concept of the bit in a computer. As you may recall, a bit is the most basic unit of information in a computer, and stores values in one of two states one, or zero. Therefore, an eight-bit attribute would consist of eight ones or zeros in any combination. For example, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one, one, zero, 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 one, one, zero, one, one, or one, 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 zero, zero, one, one, one. Short integers are 16-bit values and therefore can be used to characterize numbers ranging either from negative 32,768 to 32,767, or from 0 to 65,535, depending on whether the number is signed or unsigned, or contains a plus or a minus sign. Long integers, alternatively, are 32-bit values, And therefore, can characterize numbers ranging from negative two billion one hundred and forty seven million four hundred and eighty three thousand six hundred and forty eight to two billion one hundred and forty seven million four hundred and eighty three thousand six hundred and forty seven, or from zero to four billion two million ninety four million nine hundred and sixty seven thousand two hundred and ninety five. A single precision floating point value occupies 32 bits, like a long integer. However, this data type provides for a value of up to 7 bits to the left of the decimal, a maximum value of 128, or 127 if signed, and up to 23 bit values to the right of the decimal point, approximately 7 decimal digits. A double-precision floating-point value essentially stores two 32-bit values as a single value. Double-precision floats, then, can represent a value with up to 11 bits to the left of the decimal point and values of up to 52 bits to the right of the decimal, or approximately 16 decimal digits. Boolean date and binary values are less complex. Boolean values are simply those values that are deemed true or false based on the application of a Boolean operator such as AND, OR, and NOT. The date data type is presumably self-explanatory, while the binary data type represents attributes whose values are either 1 or 0. Measurement Scale In addition to defining data by type, a measurement scale acts to group data according to level of complexity. For purposes of GIS analyses, measurement scales can be grouped into two general categories. Nominal and ordinal data represent categorical data. Interval and ratio data represent numeric data. The most simple data measurement scale is the nominal or named scale. The nominal scale makes statements about what to call data points, but does not allow for scalar comparisons between one object and another. For example, the attribution of nominal information to a set of points that represent cities will describe whether the given locale is Los Angeles or New York. However, no further denotations, such as population or voting history, can be made about those locales. Other examples of nominal data include last name, eye color, land use type, ethnicity, and gender. Ordinal data places attribute information into ranks, and therefore yields more precisely scaled information than nominal data. Ordinal data describes the position in which data occur, such as first, second, third, and so forth. These scales may also take on names, such as very unsatisfied, unsatisfied, satisfied, and very satisfied. Although this measurement scale indicates the ranking of each data point relative to other data points, the ordinal scale does not explicitly denote the exact quantitative difference between these rankings. For example, if an ordinal attribute represents which runner came in first, second, or third place, it does not state by how much time the winning runner beat the second place runner. Therefore, one cannot undertake arithmetic arithmetic operations With ordinal data, only sequence is explicit. A measurement scale that does allow precise quantitative statements to be made about attributes is interval data. Interval data are measured along a scale in which each position is equidistant to one another. Elevation and temperature readings are common representations of interval data. For example, it can be determined that through this scale, that 30 degrees Fahrenheit is 5 degrees warmer than 25 degrees Fahrenheit. A notable property of the interval scale is that zero is not a meaningful value in the sense that zero does not represent nothingness or the absence of value. Indeed, zero degrees Fahrenheit does not indicate that no temperature exists. Similarly, an elevation of zero feet does not indicate a lack of elevation. Rather, it indicates mean sea level. Ratio data are similar to interval measurement scale, however, it is based around meaningful zero value. Population density is an example of ratio value whereby a zero population density indicates that no people live in the area of interest. Similarly, the Kelvin temperature scale is a ratio scale as zero Kelvin does simply imply that no heat or temperature is measurable within the given attribute. Specific to numeric datasets, data values can also be considered to be discrete or continuous. Discrete data are those that maintain a finite number of possible values, while continuous data can be represented by an infinite number of values. For example, the number of mature trees on a small property will necessarily be between 1 and 100, for argument's sake. however. The height of those trees represents a continuous data value as there are an infinite number of potential values. For example, one tree may be 20 feet tall, 20.1 feet, or 20.15 feet, 20.157 feet, and so forth. Primary Data Capture Now that we have a sense of the different data types and measurement scales available for use in a GIS we must direct our thoughts to how this data can be acquired. Primary data capture is a direct data acquisition methodology that is usually associated with some type of in the field effort. In the case of vector data, directly captured data commonly comes from a global positioning system, GPS, or other types of surveying equipment such as a total station. Total stations are specialized primary data capture instruments that combine a theondolite or transit, which measures horizontal and vertical angles, with a tool to measure the slope distance from the unit to an observed point. Use of a total station allows field crews to quickly and accurately derive topography for a particular landscape. In the case of GPS, handheld unit access positional data from satellites and log the information for subsequent retrieval. A network of 24 navigation satellites is situated around the globe and provides precise coordinate information for any point on the Earth's surface. Maintaining a line of sight to four or more of these satellites provides the user with a reasonably accurate location information. These locations can be collected as individual points or can be linked together to form lines or polygons depending on user preference. Attribute data such as land use type, telephone pole number, and river name can be simultaneously entered by the user. This location and attribute data can then be uploaded to the GIS for visualization. Depending on the GPS make and model, this upload often requires some type of intermediate file conversion via software provided by the manufacturer of the GPS unit. However, there are some free online resources that can convert GPS data from one format to another. GPS Babel is an example of such an online resource. In addition to the typical GPS unit shown in the textbook in Figure 5.2, GPS is becoming increasingly incorporated into other new technologies. For example, smartphones now embed GPS capabilities as a standard technological component. These phone/GPS units maintain comparable accuracy to similarly priced standalone GPS units and are largely responsible for a renaissance in facilitating portable, real-time data capture and sharing to the masses. The ubiquity of this technology led to a proliferation of crowdsourced data acquisition alternatives. Crowdsourcing is data collection method whereby users contribute freely to building spatial databases. This rapidly expanding methodology is utilized in such applications as TomTom's MapShare application, Google Earth, Bing Maps, and ArcGIS. Raster data obtained via direct capture comes more commonly from remotely sensed sources. Remotely sensed data offers the advantage of obviating the need for physical access to the area being imaged. In addition, huge tracts of land can be characterized with little or no additional time and labor by the researcher. On the other hand, validation is required for remotely sensed data to ensure that the sensor is not only operating correctly, but properly calibrated to collect the desired information. Satellites and aerial cameras provide the most ubiquitous sources of direct capture raster data. Secondary Data Capture Secondary data capture is an indirect methodology that utilizes the vast amount of existing geospatial data available in both digital and hard copy formats, Prior to initiating any GIS effort, it is always wise to mine online resources for existing GIS data that may fulfill your mapping needs without the potentially intensive step of creating the data from scratch. Such digital GIS data are available from a wide variety of sources, including international agencies, federal governments, state governments, local governments, university websites, and commercial websites. These secondary data are available in a wide assortment of file types, extents, and sizes, but is ready-made to be used in most GIS software packages. Often these data are free, but many sites will charge a fee for access to the proprietary information they have developed. Although these data sources are all cases where the information has been converted to digital format and properly projected for use in a GIS, There is also a great deal of spatial information that can be gleaned from existing, non-digital sources. Paper maps, for example, may contain current or historic information on a locale that cannot be found in a digital format. In this case, the process of digitization can be used to create digital files from the original paper copy. Three primary methods exist for digitizing spatial information. Two are manual, one is automated. Tablet digitizing is a manual data capture method whereby a user enters coordinate information into a computer through the use of a digitizing tablet and a digitizing puck. To begin, a paper map is secured to a backlit digitizing tablet. The backlight allows all features on the map to be easily observed, which reduces eye strain. The coordinates of the point, line, and or polygon features on the paper map are then entered into a digital file as the user employs a puck, which is similar to a multi-button mouse with a crosshair, to click their way around the vertices of each desired feature. The resulting digital file will need to be properly geo-referenced following completion of the digitization task to ensure that this information will properly align with existing datasets. Heads-up digitizing, the second manual data capture method, is referred to as on-screen digitizing. Heads-up digitizing can be used on either paper maps or existing digital files. In the case of a paper map, the map must first be scanned into the computer at a high enough resolution that will allow all pertinent features to be resolved. Second, the now-digital image must be registered so the map will conform to an existing coordinate system. To do this, the user can enter control points on the screen and transform, or rubber sheet, the scanned image into real-world coordinates. Finally, the user simply zooms to specific areas on the map and traces the points, lines, and or polygons, similar to the tablet digitization example. Heads-up digitizing is particularly simple when existing GIS files, satellite images, or aerial photographs are used as a baseline. For example, if a user plans to digitize the boundary of a lake as seen from a georeferenced satellite image, the steps of scanning and registering can be skipped, and projection information from the originating image can simply be copied over to the digitized file. The third automated method of secondary data capture requires the user to scan a paper map and vectorize the information therein. This vectorization method typically requires a specific software package that can convert a raster scan to vector lines. This requires a very high resolution clean scan. If the image is not clean, all of the imperfections on the map will likely be converted to false points, lines, and polygons in the digital version. If a clean scan is not available, it is often faster to use a manual digitization methodology. Regardless, this method is much quicker than the aforementioned manual methods and may be the best option if multiple maps must be digitized and or if time is a limiting factor. Often, a semi-automatic approach is employed, whereby a map is scanned and vectorized, followed by a heads-up digitizing session to edit and repair any errors that occurred during automation. The final secondary data capture method worth noting is the use of information from reports and documents. Via this method, one enters information from reports and documents into the attribute table of an existing digital GIS file that contains all the pertinent points, lines, and polygons. For example, new information specific to census tracts may become available following a scientific study. The GIS user simply needs to download the existing GIS file of census tracts and begin entering the study's report or document information directly into the attribute table. If the data tables are available digitally, one can use the join and relate functions in a GIS. These are often extremely helpful, as they will automate much of the data entry effort. The key takeaways from this section are the most common types of data available for use in a GIS are alphanumeric strings, numbers, Boolean values, dates, and binaries. Nominal and ordinal data represent categorical data, while interval and ratio data represent numeric data. Data capture methodologies are derived from either primary or secondary sources. To practice some of the knowledge from this part of the chapter, try to respond to the following question. What measurement scale? is each of these items derived from. First, my happiness score on a scale of one to 10 is seven. My weight is 192 pounds. The city that I live in is Culver City. My current body temperature is 99.8 degrees Fahrenheit. The number of cheeseburgers I can eat before passing out is 12. My license plate number is 1LUVG1S, or I love GIS. Section 5.4, Data Quality. The objective of this section is to ascertain the different types of error inherent in geospatial data sets. Not all geospatial data are created equally. Data quality refers to the ability of a given data set to satisfy the objective for which it was created. With the voluminous amounts of geospatial data being created and served to the cartographic community, care must be taken by individual geographic information system users to ensure that the data employed for their project is suitable for the task at hand. Two primary attributes characterize data quality. Accuracy describes how close a measurement is to its actual value and is often expressed as a probability. For example, 80% of all points are within plus or minus five meters of their true locations. Precision refers to the variance of a value when repeated measurements are taken. A watch may be correct to one one one-thousandth of a second, precise, but maybe 30 minutes slow, not accurate. If you look at figure 5.12, accuracy and precision, or just imagine the image of a dartboard, blue darts are both precise and accurate, clustered around the center of the target, while red darts are precise but inaccurate, clustered away from the center of the target. Several types of error can arise when accuracy and or precision requirements are not met during data capture and creation. Positional accuracy is the probability of a feature being within plus or minus units of either its true location on the Earth, absolute positional accuracy, or its location in relation to other mapped features, relative positional accuracy. For example, it could be said that a particular mapping effort may result in 95% of trees being mapped to within plus or minus 5 feet of their true location, absolute, or 95% 95% of trees are mapped to within plus or minus 5 feet of their location as observed on a digital ortho quadrangle, or relative. Speaking about absolute positional error does beg the question, however, of what exactly is the true location of an object? As discussed in Chapter 2, Map Anatomy, deferring conceptions of the Earth's shape has led to a plethora of of projections, data points, and spheroids, each attempting to clarify positional errors for particular locations on the Earth. To begin addressing this unanswerable question, the U.S. National Map Accuracy Standard, or NMAS, suggests that to meet horizontal accuracy requirements, a paper map is expected to have no more than 10% of measurable points fall outside of the accuracy accuracy value range shown in figure 5.13, relation between positional error and scale. You can look at the textbook for that. Similarly, the vertical accuracy of no more than 10% of the elevations on a contour map shall be an error of more than one-half the contour interval. Any map that does not meet these horizontal and vertical accuracy standards will be deemed unacceptable for publication. Positional errors arise from multiple sources. The process of digitizing paper maps commonly introduces such inaccuracies. Errors can arise while registering maps on the digitizing board, A paper map can shrink, stretch, or tear over time, changing the dimensions of the scene. Input errors created from hastily digitized points are common. Finally, converting between coordinate systems and transforming between data points may also introduce errors to the dataset. The root mean square, or RMS, error is frequently used to evaluate the degree of inaccuracy in a digitized map. This statistic measures the deviation between the actual, or true, and estimated, or digitized, locations of the control points. Figure 5.14 illustrates the inaccuracies of lines representing soil types that that result from input control point location errors. The image shows two overlaid images where some of the lines are lined up but other lines are slightly askew from each other. By applying an RMS error calculation to the dataset, one could determine the accuracy of the digitized map and thus determine its suitability for inclusion in a given study. Positional errors can also arise when features to be mapped are inherently vague. Take the example of a wetland. What defines a wetland boundary? Wetlands are determined by a combination of hydrologic, vegetative, and edaphic factors. Although the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is currently responsible for defining the boundary of wetlands throughout the country, this task is not as simple as it may seem. In particular, regional differences in the characteristics of a wetland make delineating these features particularly troublesome. For example, The definition of a wetland boundary for the riverine wetlands in the eastern United States, where water is abundant, is often useless when delineating similar types of wetland in the desert southwest United States. Indeed, the complexity and confusion associated with the conception of what a wetland is may result in difficulties defining the feature in the field, which subsequently leads to positional accuracy errors in the GIS database. In addition to positional accuracy, attribute accuracy is a common source of error in a GIS. Attribute errors can occur when an incorrect value is recorded within the attribute field or when a field is missing a value. Misspelled words and other typographical errors are common as well. Similarly, a common inaccuracy occurs when developers enter zero in an attribute field when the value is actually null. This is common in count data where zero would, re- would represent zero findings while a null would represent a locale where no data collection effort was undertaken. In the case of categorical values, inaccuracies occasionally occur when attributes are mislabeled. For example, a land use land cover map may list a polygon as agricultural when it is in fact residential. This is particularly true if the dataset is out of date which leads us to our next source of error. Temporal accuracy addresses the age or timeliness of a data set. No data set is ever completely current. In the time it takes to create the dataset, it has already become outdated. Regardless, there are several dates to be aware of when using a data set. These dates should be found within the metadata. The publication date will tell you when the data set was created and or released. The field date release, relates the date and time the data was collected. If the dataset contains any future prediction, there should also be a forecast period and/or date. To address temporal accuracy, many datasets undergo a regular data update regimen. For example, the California Department of Fish and Game updates its sensitive species data ga- databases on a near-monthly basis as new findings are continually being made. It is important to ensure that, as an end user, you are constantly using the most up-to-date data for your GIS application. The fourth type of accuracy in GIS is logical consistency. Logical consistency requires that the data are topologically correct. For example, does a stream segment of a line shapefile fall within the floodplain of the corresponding polygon shapefile? Do roadways connect at all nodes? Do all the connections and flows point in the correct direction in the network? In regards to the last question, the author was recently using an unnamed smartphone application to navigate a busy city roadway and was twice told to turn the wrong direction down one-way streets. So beware, errors in logical consistency may lead to traffic violations or worse. The final type of accuracy is data completeness. Comprehensive inclusion of all features within the GIS database is required to ensure accurate mapping results. Simply put, all the data must be present for a dataset to be accurate. Are all of the country, counties, in a state represented? Are all of the stream segments included in the river network? Is every convenience store listed in the database? Are only certain types of convenience stores listed within a database? Indeed, incomplete data will inevitably lead to incomplete or insufficient analysis. The key takeaways from this section are, all geospatial data contains error. Accuracy represents how close a measurement is to its actual value, while precision refers to the variance of a value when repeated measurements are taken. The five types of error in a geospatial data set are related to positional accuracy, attribute accuracy, temporal accuracy, logical consistency, and data completeness. To give yourself some practice thinking about accuracy and precision errors, here are a couple of questions to think about. What are, or just recall, the five types of accuracy and precision errors associated with geographic information. Now, also, maybe pause the podcast and try and think of an example of each type of error. Once you're done with that, think about things that have challenging positional accuracy. For example, the wetland boundaries in this last piece of the, the textbook. Think about another map feature whose boundaries are kind of inherently vague and would make them difficult to map.